live from Studio B in Athens, Ohio. You're listening to Sports Beat on WAB 1340 AM with James Galfaro, Alex McKaylin, Caleb McCluskey, Darius Sethna, hosted by me, Tanner Watts. We got Ohio men's basketball, baseball, softball, and football. Then we got the Reds and Guardians. We got the Cavs, we got the Blue Jackets, and we got Team USA, and we got the NCAA basketball coverage all right here on Sports Beat. So continue listening with us, find out some of our thoughts on that. So we start out with men's basketball with uh, the unfortunate news of Mark Sears' transfer. Uh, we all talked about it last week, and we kind of just agree, kind of agree that Mark Sears is going to be the leader to this team last episode. So with him gone, now who's going to have to step up and be the leader for the team? To me, one guy, Tanner, that really needs to step up is Ben Roderick. Had a down year last season. You know, I, I know the Ben Roderick slander, you know, we've, been doing it a lot but I think this is a guy who has you know a lot of potential yet you know this is we saw him in a game against Eastern Michigan drop 19 points dropping threes all all around I think this is a guy and you know when he contributed to that March Madness run you know he was one of the best players on the team alongside Jason Preston so I think this is a guy who needs to you know going into his senior year really be a guy to bring everyone around him for sure he would be my pick to be the leader yeah I I'd agree with you Darius um I do think that one of the things that Jeff Bowles needs to do is he needs to reach out in the transfer portal because when you lose um what three three of your starters Jason Carter Mark Sears and Ben Vanderplas you're gonna you're gonna need to replenish somehow and sometimes your younger guys might not develop as fast so reaching out in the transfer portal, um, how awesome would it be if we got Doug Edert or someone? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you got Andre uh, Curbelo. He's from Illinois. He's a really good player. So I think one of the things they need to do is reach out in the transfer portal and find leadership and a, and a player. Um, I would just like not talk about the players individually, but just to think that three of your starting, three of your starters want to transfer like all at the same time, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems kind of weird, but... Well, one's graduating. Well, yeah, yeah. One, one's graduating, but it's kind of odd that, at least for the other two, that they would transfer this quick for some reason. But obviously, they might have their personal reasons. It could be coaching. It could just be they're not feeling the team or whatever. But And I guess, you know, they also, you know, just coincidentally may have just gotten offers... At, you know, at very similar times, just with the numbers that they put up. You know, Ben Vanderplas and Mark Sears had great seasons. So when when you're a college team, you want to get on those guys right away and recruit them as fast as you can, for sure. Yes. So speaking of teams like that, according to Mark Sears' AAU coach, some of the top teams are looking at him, like St. Mary's, Texas, Auburn, Alabama, and even Gonzaga are looking into Mark Sears. And out of out of all those teams, and maybe some other teams that we don't know of right now. Where is Mark Sears going to end up? Uh, yeah, I think he stays in the south, right? He's from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. It's a southern town. So, obviously, the front runner I think, is Tuscaloosa. It's Alabama. Um, but I think other schools, uh, really, I don't think you'd go to LSU uh, just because the news that came out, they lost, like, yeah. literally every single player to the transfer portal, which is insane. And I don't think he goes out west with Gonzaga. So I'd, if, I, if I had to put my money on it, it'd either be Alabama, Auburn, or another one of those solid SEC schools. Yeah, I'm telling you, he's probably not going to go to Alabama. He grew up an Auburn fan. Grew, okay. Yeah, I doubt it to be Alabama. So that would, that would be interesting. 
if, yeah. it's, if it's either one of those two, that's huge. I mean, Alabama so, Alabama beat some great teams, but they were just inconsistent. And then, mm-hmm. as we know, Auburn was a number two seed, number one seed uh, for a while in the regular season. So either of those places or really really any school he goes to, he's going to make an immediate impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's the MAC, but when you're putting up 20 points a game, you can throw up uh, – some like four assists, couple rebounds. I mean, there's there's a couple games he would lead the team in rebounding, and the dude is six one. Like, I don't know how that's possible, but he did it. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so, out of like all of the guys who's probably gonna come in next year, or all the guys who's still on the team right now, who's gonna be the replacement for Mark Sears? I mean, at this point, I would probably have to say. Just given the roster we have right now, I think Miles Brown has to move up from shooting guard to point guard just to, to fill out that role. I have a lot of faith in Miles Brown. I think he's a very solid uh, three-point slash defensive player, like we say in basketball, those three and D guys. I think he really can bring that to the table. Um, so I think I, I feel confident with him facilitating the point guard. Would I want someone else if we had that opportunity just to bring miles off the ball absolutely but for the time being i would be completely fine seeing miles brown be the starting point guard for the bobcats moving forward yeah i like i like i like miles brown but i think he's i think you're right he's better in the shooting guard role i, I kind of like luke frazier uh he's a sophomore from uh Menor. he transferred here from dayton um and he only played a couple games for ohio but when we did see him he had really nice floor presence he has a really nice shot uh he moves around well so i think he has an opportunity definitely to uh get that position and then omid adulawan i don't know how to say his name i'm sorry but you know he's a six six guard so he's got a chance as well but i like luke frazier right now all right so we're switching up to the bobcat baseball where we had number two in the mac take on number three in the mac and the Bobcats were absolutely whooped this week, and we got we got humbled quickly. As Central Mission just came out and swept us this weekend. So, like, what went wrong? At least with the one to five loss on Saturday, and looking at it, it's I think it's that fourth inning that really hurt us, Tanner. Where Central Michigan scored three runs, and then we just absolutely could not just get on the board until the seventh inning which honestly hurts any team I don't care what sport it is if you're gonna score this late in the game most likely you're going to lose unless you have actually put pretty good defense on the other team so for that first game it was just being late in the game so yeah um definitely that fourth inning hurt us starting out it's very slow scoring doesn't get started till the fourth inning which is crazy so Ohio didn't have momentum Central Michigan didn't really have momentum, but then they finally found it in the fourth inning. And then seventh inning, you know, you get your run, but at that point you're down, what, 5-1. That's the that's the final score. So it's just – Ohio is just that's, – That's pretty much game, honestly. It's, it, it's an yeah. abysmal season, unfortunately, for them. Getting Losing to the f- same team four times, I mean – Come on. That's going to hurt. You don't even lose by one on any of them. The closest you lose by is three. And that was a Sunday game, folks. And that was a seven-inning game. So I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, Craig Moore needs to whip him into shape. 
think one thing also we need to bring up, I'm looking at the stats here for that last game of the four-game series against Central Michigan. After that first inning, Bobcats found themselves down 4 nothing. I think it's just, and then after the second inning, they were down 5 nothing, giving up another run. So to me, Tanner, what it looks like is just, you, especially in baseball, you have to start off with, you know, with at least a, a tight deficit, something that if you do go down, something you, you can recover from easily. And the Bobcats just went down 5 nothing. They did score four runs in the third, but then again, gave up three runs in, the, in, that, in that same inning. So you, you have to be able to find that balance of if you're not if your batters aren't hitting enough, your outfield really has to do a solid job being able to hold it in defensively. So to me, it's just really rough start for the Bobcats. They have to figure out a way to come out stronger. But if and if they don't come out stronger, that batting order really has to step it up on the offensive side. So I'm looking at the schedule for. Obviously, well, not obviously, but um, this past Tuesday, the game got canceled with Moorhead State. And then the baseball team is now looking to four games against Toledo this weekend. And, Alex, I'm going to pick on you. What do you think the team is actually going to do this weekend? Uh, I'm going to hope for one win. That's my – what I think or what I ho- – I hope for a win. I mean, before this game – uh, what is uh, so we were eleven and eight, solid record above five hundred, and then you drop four. Uh, I mean, you drop what is that five? Yeah, five. I do our last six. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure how good Toledo is, but obviously this team wants wants a win. They need to win to stay in uh, competition. They'll have a quick turnaround against Marshall, and then another quick turnaround three-game stretch um, at Eastern Michigan. So I'm hoping for at least one win, maybe two. Uh, definitely – actually, I'll change my mind. I'm hoping for them to play, just get a close game, get a close contest. That's that's my final answer. I'm also hoping for them literally to play and that we don't have any more weather cancellations yeah, down yeah. here literally in Athens as well. <laughs> I mean, it's the rainy season. Yeah, so. rainy the weather's season. been pretty bad lately. At least in Athens, Ohio. People. Yeah. So – all right, so switching up to the softball side, where we saw an actual, we saw some great things. Miami, who came in undefeated in MAC play, had we had a three-game series against them, and we spanked them in the Battle of the Bricks. We took that series two to one, with including a d- eleven-inning game where it was a first game of double header. So, like, what went right for the Bobcats this weekend? To me, they were just they were just hitting on all cylinders when it came to um, to hitting the ball. I mean, you look at the in the two wins that they had take away that 4-3 loss score 13 runs in one game 12 runs in the second game so 25 combined runs in two games that is pretty phenomenal and then we were talking about you know on the defensive side uh, yes they didn't have a great performance because they gave up 12 runs in that first game gave up seven in the second in that in that second game of the doubleheader on Saturday but as I said there was that balance there was that offensive consistency you saw from the team. You're clearly offensively consistent because they're scoring 25 runs in, in two games. So just for me, it was the um, the hitting of the Bobcats that really stood out in these, especially in the last two games of the series. Yeah, <clears throat> on that uh, 13-12 win, it looks like their scoring was really spaced out. 
they they kept bouncing back, right? Just looking at the scoring summary, it's it just Ohio, Miami, Ohio, Miami, Ohio, Miami. So um, looks like yeah, it looks like they were, they kept coming back. Miami kept coming back, but Ohio really wanted to put them away. They stepped up. They knew the rivalry, the history. Both schools don't really like each other. There's a tension between the two, and they wanted to win. They wanted to win more. That's just what it came down to. Um, I'll just say this at least that from the first game on Friday to the second game on Saturday, it kind of amazes me how you can go from only scoring three runs and losing by one and then scoring 13 and winning by one. I think that, because I'm probably going to say this a lot on the show, especially with our college teams here at Ohio University, it comes down to heart, and I'm proud of our softball team for this weekend. They won three out of four, if you include the Akron game on Tuesday, where they won two to one, but... I'm proud of our team this week. I really can't complain about what they've done recently, and hopefully that the consistency consistency can stay the same. So we, like, the main thing with our se- the softball season's gone so far is then inconsistencies. So if the Bobcats can find this this consistency after just beating number one in the MAC, and we were we were at we were seventh in the MAC, where do we think we like, we could end up this at, at the end of? Uh, end of the season I definitely think we can be um one of those teams in the hunt I could I could certainly see us being fourth fifth seed in the MAC just looking at our I know we have an 11 and 17 overall record right now but given the fact that we've won three straight games we're now five and four in in MAC play the Bobcats you know just doing a really good job very consistent thus far two more home games against Akron before they head out on the road against Ball State but you know like I said it what Caleb was talking about comes it comes down to heart and I absolutely believe that this Bobcat team has that heart to finish you know at least a top six seed in the max standings when it's all said and done yeah um I think uh my mind just caught on something you said there they're they're 11 17 overall right but in the end they're 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 looking for a MAC tournament they're looking to go to the MAC tournament and win the MAC so against number 16 Georgia right they got blown out Against Kentucky, they got blown out. But it's like, yeah, it's a loss, but it doesn't. It matters, but it doesn't matter as much because the Mac, the Mac is really what matters. And they got a winning record in the Mac. They're five and four. They have beaten every team at least once. They beat Buffalo once. They beat BG once. They beat Miami twice. Akron once now. So they're competing with the Mac schools. And again, like I said, it's all about the Mac. It's all about making the Mac tournament. So realistically, maybe top three, top four seed, something like that. We need those neutral games to get more wins, though. Mm-hmm. Four and eight yeah. is just yeah. not good. Yeah, when you start looking better in those neutral games. But, yeah, like, I mean, I totally agree. Like, a four to six seed, definitely. And especially, I think, riding the momentum of a three-game win streak is going to be big for them, especially two of those being Miami. I think that that's definitely going to – I think if you're looking for a turning point in this season, that's where it starts. And that's where it's going to go. Because looking at their schedule going forward, obviously it's a lot of MAC teams, but they never play like two series on the road or at home. Like they just keep switching back and forth. And while they could get kind of tired just being like, oh, well, we got to get back on the bus and go to Ball State or wherever, like I think that's going to help not playing, not staying too far away from home. And being like, oh, we have like two games at Ball State. Oh, we're heading back home. And then we're here, and then back home. I think that's gonna help them a lot too. All right. So then, 
Analia Paoli, who was who plays third base for the softball team, had one co players co softball player of the week for the MAC. She had six hits. She hit a, a six sixty seven with one double, one home run, four runs scored, and four RBIs this weekend. So then switching it up to to some high Ohio football, we see the first action of the 2022-2023 team this Saturday in the spring game. And so we're losing out on some key pieces on offense, like Demontre Tuggle. So who's going to be the guy to replace him? Which were, he was one of the better running backs in the MAC we had. Yeah, I think he was um, our our best player personally, in my opinion. Uh, I, I don't know uh, too much about our uh, running back class, but just re- I know this isn't the question, but. Uh, we were talking about it before the show, Shane, that thing you said about Armani Rogers. I feel like that's interesting to talk about for Ohio football. Yeah, um, so anyone who hasn't heard, uh, Armani Rogers, who was one of our quarterbacks uh, at OU, is he declared for the draft, and he actually switched his position to tight end. Uh, he's not declaring as a uh, quarterback, which... I think it's interesting. We kind of talked about it before the show. He's got like the he's got a build that's in between a tight end and a wide receiver, so it's interesting to me that he's declaring for tight end instead of just being a bigger body wide receiver. Yeah, that's that's really intriguing to me. Just because I mean, not gonna lie, the only um, thing that sticks out in my mind with him is the record that he broke against Buffalo, the ninety nine yard touchdown. No disrespect, but like that's the thing that pops out to me when I hear his name. So he's a he's a big body, and I think. I don't know if he'll get drafted. I know uh, I was talking about this before the show that I do think Demontre Tuggle will either get drafted in like the seventh round or as an undrafted free agent because he had a really good pro day. Um, so again, I don't know that much about our running backs to step up, but talking about the guys we had, talking about where they are now, I think they could definitely make an impact on an NFL team. Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep this short, but um, shout out to my dad for telling me this when I was young, but usually for athletes who are able to go this far in any sport where it's football basketball baseball softball it's not surprising that somebody would switch their position like right before like something this big just because it could either be like they feel like this position will be better for them or it's just obviously the nfl and then maybe shane you could back me up on this is that quarterbacks now are like this is some of like the greatest quarterback potential we've seen like recently. I would yeah, I mean, looking at the quarterbacks that are in the league right now, they're I mean, they're star-studded across the board. Um not the strongest draft class, but like Malik Willis and like Desmond Ritter and Kenny Pickett are looking to be some talents and then the 23 class is going to be studs. Like they're going to be really good. So and I like watching through the NFL, you'll see that a lot of teams are very, like a lot of quarterbacks, that's their safety blanket as a tight end. So I think if he develops the hands he needs as a tight end and can block, then I think he'll be a, he could be a solid number two tight end. Uh, how about uh, Armani Rogers coming over to the Browns? That and then that <laughs> will in, that will ensure me that I will now, then be assured to get my tickets to Glendale pack some Browns gear, and I'm on my way if the Browns can get Armani I'll Rogers. Make you a deal. I, I will make you a deal right here, right now. Oh boy. If the Browns draft or sign Armani Rogers, I will go to a Browns game with you. Yeah, all right, cool. awesome. I'll do it. Well, well that's right. 100% happening, so get your tickets yeah. ready. Let's Glendale, here we come. Armani Rogers. 
to the Browns. Let's do it. So, I mean, obviously we were coming off a really bad year. One of our worst years in since the turn of the millennium. We had a, I think, a three and nine record. So yeah, we're we're coming we're coming off some down year. Who were gonna be the guys to like we're gonna have to rely on more this year? Well, I think it starts at the head of the team. So you gotta you gotta look at quarterback. That's gotta be the first step up. Uh, I would say it's probably Curtis Rourke's job to lose as the starting quarterback. But I mean, he if anything is gonna happen with the team, he's got to step up. He was. I mean, he looked a little promising last year on just a rough team and a rough season. There were flashes of what he can do, and then he just had some really down moments. But I think if anyone needs to step up first and foremost, it needs to be him. I mean, he did complete sixty, almost 66% of his passes through seven interceptions as well on the season. But I'm, when I'm looking at that 66% number, that's definitely something to look forward to heading into next season. Yeah. Um, I think he definitely needs to step up. He, I think they didn't ask him to do as much last year just because they had Tuggle, who was our best offensive weapon. But I'm looking on the defensive side of the football. Um, Dante Hunter, he just transferred here from Purdue. He was a three-star. Uh, he actually went to a high school where near where I'm from. Uh, I've actually seen him play once. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast. You know, if he's you know he's good if he's playing if he was at a Big Ten school like Purdue. So I think he could really bring edge pressure. We didn't really have much of that at all. Our D line last year was weak. It wasn't great. Didn't get to the quarterback often. So I think he could be a big name to step up. You know, transferred here. He think uh, he can make an impact. And then uh, uh, Coach uh, Tim Alvin thinks he can make an impact too. Yeah. Like speaking of Deontay Hunter, he he played behind George Karloftis at Purdue. It was most likely going to be a top fifteen pick in this year's draft. So hopefully he can bring some of that skill set he learned behind George Karloftis to us. So it would be absolutely fantastic. So then switching up to the Reds and Guardians, whose opening day as of this recording is one day away, and both teams were busy this offseason for the Reds. They ca- they have officially caught up the 2017 first round pick. And, and top prospect Hunter Green to the official team, and he'll be making his debut on April 10th. Then Nick Lodolo, who is the second best prospect on our, on the team, was also called up, and he'll be making his debut against the Guardians. Then the MLB also dropped their t- top 100 players this year, with Jonathan India, Joey Votto, Jonathan India coming in at 88th, Joey Votto coming at 79th, and Jose Ramirez coming in at 15th this year. And honestly, if I had to give my first reactions to the ranking, Jonathan India had to be higher. I think that dude was a top 75 player in the league easily. He had a stellar rookie season. He he should be way higher than 88. Jose Ramirez, I mean, I kind of like it, but eh. So then also with the Reds, they made some surprising call-downs with TJ Friedel, Drake Bowers, and Robert Albert Almora Jr., we're all sitting down to the minors who can all play the outfield, and we know that our outfield is going to be lacking with the trade of Jesse Winker, with loss of Nick Castellanos. So we're going to be lacking in depth and players. And TJ Friel, Jake Bowers, Albert Amara, they all have MLB experience that we could definitely fill up with, especially with Albert Amara. He's he's been in the league since 2016, so I'm surprised that the Reds moved him down. Then also with Shogo Akiyama. 
He was officially released by the Reds after two disappointing seasons we saw out of Japan. As, out of, since we signed him to Japan, he had no home runs hit in his two years. He batted somewhere like low two hundreds, I believe. So he definitely struggled, but he did have flashes in the outfield. So with the outfield right now, it's looking like Arcee's Aquino in the right field. Nixon Zell in center field, and uh, Tyler Naquin in left field, which is an all right setup. I'm not a fan of Aries Aquino because he, I heard, I think I remember somewhere after that rookie year, he had got cut off of his off season team because of his poor fielding, and he has been a poor fielder. And he ever since that first month he's had since getting caught up to the Reds, he's not been that guy. He just hit all those home runs and had the I think the record too. And he just hasn't been the same since. So then with opening days, the Reds were taking on the Braves and the Guardians were taking on the Kansas City Royals. What do you guys think of those games and who do you guys got? So I'll start with the Braves-Reds game, Tanner. I'll be honest with you, just given the fact that Atlanta did win the World Series last year, I'm, I'm, I'm also wearing an Atlanta Hawks shirt right now. Shout out to Trey Young, but we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm going to take the Atlanta Braves tomorrow for the opening for the opening game. I'm going to take them with an eight to two win. I see them pulling away early in the. I would say in the middle of the game, pulling away, and then the Cleveland Guardians. So the Browns opened up their season in Kansas City last last year. The Guardians will open their season up in against Kansas City. And I'm going to take the the road team, the Guardians. Give me a 5-4 win for Cleveland. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with you on on both those. Uh, it looks like they they uh, Guardians play the Royals uh, four games in a row, and then the Reds play the Braves four games in a row. I think the Braves will win four in a row, maybe even th- or three out of four, maybe even four out of four. They won the World Series for a reason. They're a great team. And then uh, Guardians Royals. I'll go Guardians. We'll see what the uh, new Guardians can do. Right, yeah, just keeping on with the Reds, I also forgot to mention that the Reds, even though they haven't played a game yet, they are already finding themselves in injury troubles with Nick, Ca- Luis Castellano, Jose Barrio, Lucas Sims, Donovan Solano, Max Sherrock, Justin Dunn, Mike Miner, TJ Atone will be all in the IL to start the year, and TJ Atone will not be playing this year due to Tommy John surgery, which is all going to be huge losses for the Reds, especially the especially the losses of the pitchers, because our pitching has not been the greatest since last year, and especially probably going to be this year too with how like how less pitchers we have. Yeah, Nick Lodolo is going to step up. Yes, Hunter Green's going to step up. But our bullpen still most likely going to struggle as we've not brought in any in any pin, bullpen guys this year. And we've traded away some of our better ones like Amir Garnett. So we're going to – the Reds going to be struggling with some pitching-wise. So the, switching up to the Cavs, Darius, what would you like to say about them? Guys, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. This, but I just told you I'm wearing an Atlanta Hawks shirt today, and I'm wearing an Atlanta Hawks shirt for a reason because I could not – find myself to even wear any Cavs gear today guys let's just let's just look at this game okay so yes they lo- they lose 120 to 115 in Orlando coming into this game Orlando's record was 21 and 58 
no sign whatsoever of going to the playoffs, let alone or even the play-in. Okay, here's what's worse, guys. The leading score. So when you think, I'm going to ask you guys a question here. So when you think of the Magic win a game, who do you think their leading score would be if they win that game? Just give me, give me a, give me a shot. Like who Suggs, would you think? Wagner. I'd say Suggs or Wagner. None of those guys were the leading scorers in that game yesterday. You want to know who the leading scorer was for the Orlando Magic yesterday? Yes. Mo Bamba. Mo, the Cavs lost to Mo Bamba. Okay? They lost to a guy who has a rap song named after him, which is awesome. But my God, 21 points, 12 rebounds. You let Mo Bamba get a double double. Yes, Laurie Markin had a strong game, 25 points, 35 minutes. Darius Garland had a slow start, but then finished with 20, uh, 27 points. And it was just. It was so frustrating to watch. I'm looking at this this box score right now. Thank you, Caleb. Terrence Ross didn't even play. Cole Anthony. Um, Wendell Carter Jr., Gary Harris. All these guys were out for the Magic. I don't, I don't get it. This Cavs team, yes, they're firmly in a play-in position. But do I feel confident about us beating the Atlanta Hawks or the Charlotte Hornets or even the Brooklyn Nets? Absolutely not right now. I am in absolute panic mode. Uh, but I want to get your guys' thoughts for sure. I've been talking too much. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> first thing that sticks out to me is every single bench player on the Magic had double-digit points. <laughs> every single one. What's this um, one guy's name, Brezdakis? We let uh, him go for 20 points? That they did. They did let him go for 20 points. Um, I mean, the Cavs, like, sometimes it just happens, you know? And you know you're losing. You're you don't have Mobley or you don't have Jared Allen, but it is the Magic. Like you have to just be frank about it. It's the Magic, and they did play well. They shot forty five point seven percent from three. They shot fifty one percent from the field. Sometimes their shots are going in, yours aren't. But I think it's health. It's injuries for the Cavs. And also, Alex, it's the Orlando Magic. Like, come on. Um. For our fellow viewers at home, I don't think you're going to realize this, but Isaiah Coro, in almost 29 and a half minutes, had five points, one rebound, and one assist. Kevin Love had 17 points and 13 rebounds in 25 minutes. If you are Isaac Okoro right now, and this is not even a shot at him, you got to look at yourself from this game and just ask, what could I have done better? And I know Darius Garland had 27 Karis Avert put in 11, and you just got to – that's just bad, man. That's really bad. In a starting position, if you're going to lose at Orlando Magic, you have no shot in the play, and I don't care which team you match up against. I would uh, I would uh, agree with you, Caleb, but also kind of disagree because, like, Okoro isn't a scorer. That's not who he is. And, you know, he was – two for four 50 percent which is like okay but then you know he had a block two steals that's steals are momentum changing I don't they might have scored off those and you know unfortunately he didn't lock up anyone eh, actually no he yeah didn't. He, didn't. he didn't he didn't he usually does but um I don't know I'm not the I'm not the I'm not the most unhappy with that stat line so I I have to I, I agree with both of you in a way. Does Isaac Okoro need to play better? Absolutely. We saw for a, a few stretch, a couple of games, a few stretches ago, that 
Isaac Okoro really did a great job shooting the three ball and playing solid defense. So he's got to, you know, find a way to get that back as the playoffs roll around here. But I think one name we're overlooking a little bit here, guys, is Karis Levert. This was supposed to be a guy to come in and take some scoring load off of Darius Garland. And then when Colin Sexton came back, this was supposed to be a great scoring team. Got to be honest with you guys, very disappointed in Karis LeVert's performance in Cleveland thus far. His best game was last Wednesday against the Magic. Dropped 32 points, 11 of 19 from the field. But since then, guys, 9, 19, 18, and then yesterday against the Orlando Magic, 11 points. That's incredibly concerning to me. And I was one of the guys who was hyping up the Karis LeVert bandwagon for him to come to Cleveland. But I was thinking to myself, especially after that game yesterday, do the Cavs possibly trade Karis LeVert to get some pieces? You know, I, maybe what, what your thoughts are on that maybe. But it's just been very disappointing so far for Karis LeVert with the Cavs. Yeah, just to keep at least somewhat positive about the Cavs, how good has Moses Brown been since we picked oh, him up? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's he been is, he's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, we picked him up as a guy to like just to fill in the gap between Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen with their injuries, and he has been playing really well. We we signed him to two ten day contracts. Then we, I think a few days ago, we just signed him to a two way deal, and he has been playing some. He's been putting up numbers too. I'm surprised with him. I just want to say real quick, I think it's really interesting that in a year where LeBron gets eliminated from the playoffs and playoff contention, that the two teams he was on before that are doing better than the Lakers. I just think that's kind of funny. I agree. That's hilarious. I think it's really funny. (laughs) That's really funny. But I think for the Lakers, it's this offseason is crucial. Absolutely. Because I forget if this is LeBron's last year on his deal or something, because I know he had an extension, but I think that's not the case. But we also got to make some trades. Players got to get better in the offseason. And we'll see where this goes next year. Yes, I would say LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest. But he may be one of the worst GMs of all time. I mean, (laughs) I love LeBron. I'm a huge, huge LeBron fan. But he cannot build a team. He, He, it's, it's just you can't. It's hard to play with a player like that. I mean, he's the most famous basketball player on the planet right now, and he has been for a while. So, I mean, I love LeBron, but he's a very, very bad GM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Caleb, I wanted to ask you real quick, because I know you were talking about how you know, crucial the offseason is, you know, guys stepping up. I was wondering to, what, what I was going to ask you is, there have been rumors the last couple of weeks that the Lakers might be trading Anthony Davis and then, you know, Russell Westbrook, should he leave the team? But at the same time, is any other team going to be willing to take on his contract? So kind of from that perspective, where do the Lakers need to go? Because you're not giving up LeBron. That's not happening. No. So where do you not. so I mean, what do you do with like your other two stars? And you know, they really don't have any bench scoring either. So if I had to be the GM or Rob Polinka right now. I would trade Russ automatically to whatever team would be willing to take him. I don't care if it's for other role players, draft picks. We would The Lakers should take anything at this point for him because obviously I can't even say Russ did bad this year because these last few, I think, five to six games, he's actually been doing pretty well with handling the ball, scoring, doing his thing. But Russ has got to go, and we got to get some new centers, man. 
I think let you, me let me rephrase that. Actually, we need to get rid of the older centers, specifically Dwight Howard. I I love the guy. I think he should have been a top seventy five player this year. But we got to get young. Like our average age is just. Thirty one. Thirty one years 31. old is the yeah, average age of the bad. Lakers. I was gonna I was gonna say exactly that. I was gonna say I think trade us and honestly tr- trade if you could some of those older guys that still have uh value, just trade and just get youth. I think that's what you need. You just need to get faster, quicker, more elusive, all that stuff. Uh you might not even get the greatest value. But you just need players that are young, players that can play. I do think, though, I do think they should keep Carmelo Anthony because although he can be inconsistent, hear me out, although he can be inconsistent, he gave them a solid scoring option. He could give you 12 to 14, and, you know, that's pretty good for a 37-year-old man. Yeah, I was going to say, if there's one guy the Lakers could consider keeping, it would be Carmelo Anthony just because he's a solid shooter. I mean, would you rather... I'd rather want him shooting in the game than, you know, someone like, you know, Kent Bazemore, who really hasn't seen many minutes. But, you know, to be looking on a positive side for the Lakers, Malik Monk has had an outstanding year. Yeah, keeping him too. Um, He's definitely for sure a piece you want to keep. So just looking at it on a positive side, you do have one young piece in Malik Monk. Yeah, because I even like think about this now. We might have to trade THT or – better known as Taylor Horn Tucker. He's been doing okay, but I think it's the fact that when the Lakers decided to keep him for whatever deal that went on last year, I didn't expect him to be coming off the bench as an eight, man. He's I a bum. I expected him to be in the starting lineup because Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson are honestly doing their part. Austin, Austin Reeves, man, I... I don't know what came across this kid in the past few months, but this man is just on our planet right now. Mm-hmm. Austin, uh, speaking of Austin Reeves, I think he's had another like un, a pretty underrated uh, rookie year so far. Like, he's shown his flashes so, so far. Like if he could find some solid minutes on the Lakers team, he could put up numbers. I mean, rookie of the year, thirty last night. I mean, yeah. If you wanted it, to give him like forty, like. Yeah. I don't know what that would do. 30 for minutes, game. 18 points, 6 assists, 4 boards. That's pretty good. All right, so switching it up to the switching it up to the Blue Jackets where they come off a 7-game losing streak and they have finally won as they have beaten the Philadelphia Flyers. And like we said, we the t- this team has got to turn it around quickly as their playoff chances are fading, and if they're not already virtually gone by now, they're they've got to step up as a team, and they got to get they they've got to get more control over the puck. Like they have been, their control of the puck has been lately has not been the greatest. So we we've got to find some consistency there. I'm gonna just keep this short, and then I'm gonna hand off to Alex. Don't be the Lakers, please don't. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that it's over. They're not making the playoffs. They're 12 points behind the Capitals. They're one point behind the Islanders, and they just lost to them twice last week. Unfortunately, it's over. Um, I Everybody wants to see them make the playoffs as a low seed, right? Re- see if we can recreate some of that magic we had against the Lightning, one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Um, 
But unfortunately, I don't think we're making the playoffs. I don't think we have a team for it. Uh, some of our guys are injured. Some of our guys aren't stepping up like they should. Didn't like the Max Domi trade either. So, Tanner, I have a quick question for you regarding the Blue Jackets. Obviously, Patrick Laine is one of the best offensive players on the team. Saw in a strong season this year. Should the team look to find more pieces to build around him, or is this a situation where we need to break everything apart and just kind of build from the ground up again. Just, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I want to go as far to say as to completely blow it up because we have the, we have key pieces still coming in. Kent Johnson, who's with Michigan right now, they're in the Frozen Four. Kent Johnson's been insane for Michigan. He, he's been worth the pick so far. Then Krill Marchenko, who's currently in the KHL, who's been lighting it up. He is talented. He is, his stick handling is absolutely fantastic. So once those guys get into the NHL, they're going to be absolute studs. We ha- we just have we have the key pieces like Boone Jenner is nice, Oliver Bjorkstrand's nice, Jacob Fordcheck is good. Good. Obviously, we talk about Patrick Line. We ha- like we have the pieces. It's just a matter of like continuing to build upon it and get get like better key pieces like on the fourth line, the third line, because that's when we struggle the most. Even with Cole Stillinger, he's 18 years old. He's one of the better rookies in the NHL we've seen. He is the youngest, one of the younger people, to, one of the youngest people in NHL history to have a hat trick. He's, I think, has the most points so far too, and all out of all rookies. So he's gonna be out there for the colder this year too, which I don't know if he's gonna get, but it'll be really nice to see him get. Then we could have Kent Johnson, who most likely will come in next year, who can also win a colder. So we have we have key pieces, just they're not with us right now, but we could definitely make a run here in a few years. So that's switching it up to Team USA soccer. We we're officially qualified for the World Cup Wednesday night after a 2017 failure to Trinidad and Tobago. For the so with the group currently, we have USA, England, Iran, and we have a playoff between either Ukraine, Wales, or Scotland. So what do you think of the group so far? Well, I definitely, and I know, Alex, we were talking about this before the show started, no reason whatsoever the U.S. cannot finish at least second place in this group. I just think England is too talented. They're clearly the best team in this group. So the way I have it set up, I'm going to say it's going to go England 1, USA 2. I'm going to take, whether it's Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine, I'm going to take them at the three seed and then Iran to go four. So that, that, would, that would be my pick. Um, Dries, I agree with everything you just say, said, excuse me, but I think we also got to put this in a real-world perspective real quick because obviously there's a war going on right now, and I think if Ukraine actually decided to go – along with this it might hurt the reputation because it would seem like they're more focused on sports than handling their no role. yeah yeah no uh my apologies i really didn't know like i'm i kind of just based that off of no like, just I agree. the, the standings like, not, for sure i yeah. agree with you. like i'm not slandering you no anything, no 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 yeah just, no yeah i but, think it's just me like telling the audience right like, right like this is happening like right now no yeah absolutely and I think this would hurt Ukraine's reputation if they actually decided to go play soccer. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, can't can't predict the future, but exactly. hope everything goes the best way it can. 
Yeah. Um, in that three spot, I think you're right. Uh, being realistic about it, I don't think uh, USA will finish first. Uh, wish they would, but um, the England squad this year is one of the best they've ever had. They are phenomenal on literally every single area of the pitch. It's ridiculous the amount of talent they have on that team. Uh, USA definitely should finish second. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, uh, let's say hypothetically out of those three teams, I think Wales will make it out of those three teams. Um, I think Wales is the best team out of those three teams. I think in my opinion it would go Wales, Ukraine, and then Scotland's the last one. But let's say Wales makes it. I definitely think we should be able to beat Wales, and then I think we should be able to beat Iran. But uh, I know we were talking before the show a little bit. Um, we were saying, oh, we might be able to beat England. We might be able to do that. Again, we might, but I like to be realistic about this. England is insane. They have, like, every single player on that team is better than all the players on our team. So yeah. you're saying, like, a one-on-one matchup, England would be better yes. than the U.S.? Yeah. Like, every, okay. I, every single player on England, I stand by this, is better than Christian Pulisic as well. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong, Alex, but I was – I, so I was the one who was talking about it. And so the only basis I was coming off of, you, England has not beaten the U.S. in the World Cup out every single time they've played. Twice. It's, yeah, it's twice. Especially with that Clint Dempsey uh, game-time goal to keep us one, keep it 1-1. That was an amazing goal. I saw a clip It was, but, but what I'm saying is like, is like in terms of talent, yeah. right? Just just like basketball, your starting five. How's your starting five match up? Your starting eleven. It's it's not matching up. Every single player on that team is they have uh, evaluations in the in the mil, in the millions, right? Some of these guys, Jack Grealish, he has a hundred million dollar valuation. Harry Kane, hundred million dollar valuation. I mean, these they're just better soccer players. They're better as a unit, I think. And that's no disrespect to USA, but I just think. There's not a big shot to beat United States. So, Alex, I just have a quick question for you as well here. So the last time England, the last and only time England won a World Cup was when they hosted the tournament back in 1966. This is probably, in my opinion, the best that England has looked since. You know, they in 2018, they made the semifinals, got fourth place in the 2018 World Cup, made the final at home in the Euros, Euro tournament this past summer. So I want to get your take on this, Alex. Even though that 1966 team won the World Cup, is this the best the England soccer England national soccer team has ever been? 1,000%. Easily. Easily. I, I, I think this is the best team in the world, the best players in the world. People are saying, oh, yeah, but it's England, whatever, it's England. But just in terms of talent, this team is ridiculously good. Every single player is a starter on one of the best clubs in the world. Every single player has trophies. It's phenomenal with the ball at their feet. They're they're crucial to their position. I think this is the best England team ever, in my opinion. I think they're going to win it. People always say, yeah, it's England, they choke. But I just I just don't see that happening this year. I think when they match up against Brazil... Argentina, France, all these teams, they're younger, they're faster, they're better, they play with more pace, they have a better manager, they've been they just were at the Euros, they know they can compete against big teams. So yes, this is the best best England team ever. I want to I want to go off that. So 
if you're saying that you think England can win it all, who who do you think they're meeting at the end? I would say they're going to meet. Uh, I honestly, I think they're going to meet Argentina. I think really? I think Messi wants to. I think Messi secretly deep down is like Ronaldo. I'm the best. I'm winning this World Cup and I'm shutting the haters up. I think it's going to be Messi versus or Argentina versus England. I don't think Messi will win it, and I don't think Argentina will win it. But I think it's going to be England versus Argentina because I think uh, Lionel Messi is the best soccer player of all time, and he has a vendetta. He wants to win a World Cup, so he'll make it. He's already been to a final. Um, but I just think this England team's it's too good. This is Messi's. This is Messi's last chance to get a world yeah cup i, I for don't sure. i don't think he's playing in a world cup when he's 30 um, years old because yeah. when i mean you know like you said he played in that one final in 2014 and to be quite honest with you had a pretty terrible performance in that world cup final so he has he has to uh make some amends uh, this year the one trophy he does not have is the that world, world yes. cup trophy um one last thing here then we'll switch but i think that uh england um Again, they are the best team, but I think there's teams that they can slip up against. One sleeper team I have in the World Cup watch out for is Belgium. Uh, they have great players, and they're young, and they obviously have uh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku, who are great players. But I think Belgium, they play a unique style of soccer. So I'd say if England had to slip up, it would be against a team like Belgium. I do want to say real quick before we switch – um, all I'm gonna say is don't don't sleep on my boys in yellow. Uh, when USA got me down, I always turned to my boys at Brazil. You, they are very good. They, yeah. They're always. I feel like they're always like a wild card. Like you never really know how yeah. they're gonna end up turning out. But yeah, don't. They have. They have I mean, they have Neymar. Yeah. Period. Don't sleep on my boys in yellow. Yeah. So, soccer's coming home. So switching up to the NCAA basketball championships, we had the women's tournament. So what do you guys think about the game? With, where was, uh, South Carolina Gamecocks versus the Yukon Huskies. What do you guys think? Um, uh, real quick, then I'll pass it off here. My initial thought is, like, dang, because UConn, you know, we all know UConn's women's team is, like, one of the best college programs in any sport ever. Uh, but it just looked like South Carolina had better players. It looked like Gino got outcoached. And here's what I thought was real, uh, really interesting here. Only three players on both teams scored in – or four, excuse me. Four players on both teams scored in double digits. The leading scorer was uh, Destani Henderson, who scored 28, 26 points. The other two leading scorers for South Carolina scored 11 points each. And then on the other side for UConn, Paige Buchers, 14 points, but she was the only player – for UConn to score in double digits. The next leading scorer was Carolina Charmy with nine points, and you can see why the Huskies only only scored 49 points. It's because your leading scorer only had 14 points. They scored eight points in the first quarter. 22 to eight was the was the score of the game after the first quarter. So, and you give, give credit to South Carolina. Just never looked back. To, never looked back after that. Yeah, I mean, for the season, South Carolina had two losses, so it would kind of make sense for them to go win and all, but like Alex was saying like a few minutes ago, that most people know what UConn is known for, and it's unfortunate this year what happened, but yeah, Darius, that first quarter absolutely killed them, 22-8, to eight, and then they just 
that second quarter was better where they scored 19 and South Carolina had 13, but after that first half, they just couldn't get themselves back in it. So switching up to the men's side, where we ha- we saw the we saw the Kansas Jayhawks come back big time against the Tar Heels. So what do you guys think? So I walk in my room and I turn on TV and it's halftime. North Carolina is up forty to twenty-five, folks, and. I'm pretty sure everybody else knows the story of what happened afterwards, but supposedly or actually factual now, this is the worst or best comeback in tournament history, at least with the national championship. So I was generally surprised, not by the outcome, but by the comeback. Because as soon as the second half started, Everybody, not only in the stadium, I felt it in my own dorm room, you guys. That momentum swing was crazy. Kansas came out like they had won the lottery or something. And these are college basketball players. They come out, bring the energy, and then sometime during that second half, Kansas is already back up by six. And then North Carolina makes a few buckets, and they're able to tie it again, but... Kansas, man. I just I couldn't believe myself after that game. The standout player to me was David McCormick. You know, 15 points, 10 rebounds, that double-double. And then he hit two back-to-back huge jump hook shots to really seal the deal, especially with that last one to secure the win for Kansas. I also look at Ochai Baji. Didn't have the greatest performance from the free throw line, but stepped up, stepped up when he needed to, played some solid defense. And for UNC, too, you've got to give them credit. I know they had, a, they had a terrible second half, scoring just 29 points and conceding 47. But you got to give, like, you know, Armando Baycott, 15 points and 15 rebounds. I was a little bit disappointed with the lack of shots Brady Manick got in that second half because I thought he's really one of the big catalysts on this North Carolina team. But just with the how the, you saw they were getting injured, the injuries were starting to mount up a little bit for them as well (laughs) yeah Caleb Caleb Love we saw him literally hopping on one foot at part of that second half so you got to give both these teams credit for the effort they put in um exactly I I think that uh people are going to say right when it comes down to the game itself people are going to say you know Kansas has been a second half team all year and I'd say yeah they have been but this is division one college basketball national championship blue blood you're North Carolina you can't a, out-rebound them by 20 and lose. B, shoot 21% from three. And C, shoot 32% from the field. That's, you, that, you're not winning anything there. You, that's, that, you can't do that. Uh, Kansas, you can say uh, Kansas beat North Carolina. I'd argue North Carolina beat themselves. I think the, the biggest thing is 55 to 35 on rebounds. You had three players get 12 or more rebounds. That is insane. They had... 20 more rebounds and they still lost. You got to hit shots, you got to find offense. You can't have your you can't have your big 3 go 3 for 13, 4 for 8 and 5 for 24. It just it North Carolina beat themselves. Yeah, and like I slightly think that going into halftime North Carolina got a little ahead of themselves after coming off a massive win against Duke uh, for a second time as when they beat them um back on the road at Duke. And then 
leading at half against Kansas in like the championship, I think they went to halftime a little ahead of themselves, and then Kansas just blew them out of the water in the second. You know what I think is also super interesting too is the game that game Monday was it was really like an old school basketball game that you'd play in the 80s or 90s. The two teams combined for just 11 three pointers, five for UNC, six for Kansas. So this is really a take it in the paint and dominate kind of game, one of those old school games. So I thought that was really cool to see as well. Yeah, I'd say one last thought here. Um, for uh, UNC, they they were an eight seed for a reason. Unfortunately, I don't mean that in a wrong way, but when when you when you shoot like this, play like this, get out rebound them and still lose, you're an eight seed for a reason. Kansas was a number one seed for a reason. And so that's what I think it came down to. They're the better team. All right, to wrap it up, we're going to have the softball team playing the Zips and the Ball State Cardinals this week. Switching on to the baseball, we got the Toledo the baseball team will be playing the Toledo Rockets. The Cavs will be looking on to face the the uh, Brooklyn Nets. They'll be taking on the Brooklyn Nets. The Blue Jackets will be looking on to hopefully sur- survive this playoff drought. And the Reds and Guardians make their season day starts with opening day as the Guardians have taken on the Kansas City Royal Royals and the Reds have taken on the 2021 World Series champs in the Atlanta Braves. So that is it from us at Sportsbeat. Special, that was it for us at Sportsbeat, hosted by me, T- Tanner Watts. Taylor, Taylor Burnett is our editor and technical assistant. You can catch us on Thursdays at 9 uh, on WOEB 1340 a.m. On an online at WOUV.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. 